Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Grab that chair for me. There we go. Uh, dude, I don't know about this. It'll be fine. Just saying. Hun, the faucet broke. I got this. What? See, I told you it'd be fine. Just saying. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Do you need some lighter fluid or anything? No, man, I got this. excited to be at church today. Man, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're just so glad that you got up and made space to be with us at church today. Can we also welcome everybody who's with us on Facebook Live right now? Thank you for being part of our church family. Real quick, uh, would you just, if you've got a smartphone, pull it out real quick in, in church. You can do that right now. This was so cool. A few weeks ago, I got up and just challenged you to, to utilize Facebook as an opportunity to share what God is doing here in Alaska with your Facebook friends and give it some purpose. And so you guys did that. We had over 100 of you share uh, this live sermon. And normally we have about 1,000 people view the message. That week, we had over 4,000 people view the message, which is just awesome. That's, that's so good. So something as simple as just hitting share on Facebook, you never know how God might use that. We hear people all the time say, you know, I was looking for a church home or going through some hard things in my life, and I just saw one of my friends share this on Facebook, and, and uh, then they ended up actually coming and, and uh, coming and getting baptized and growing in the church. So anyway, we just want to utilize that, so I encourage you to do that. If you're online, we'd love it if you just clicked the share button and uh, just let your friends know what God is doing here. This is an exciting time uh, for ACF Church. Uh, man, I don't know if you noticed this, but our church is growing, and uh, in fact, we're kind of running out of seats even, even today, uh, coming into the fall, and so um, if you're new, we launched into a building project just at the beginning of the summer, and you've seen all the dirt moving outside. In fact, there's like one beam <laughs> sticking up out of the ground now on the back of the building. We're actually starting to build up after all of the deconstruction that we've done back there. There's concrete poured, and in fact, if you would, at the end of this service at some point, um, just encourage you, walk downstairs, and you can see now they've taken out part of the wall, so you can see what's gone on in the basement here, and we're basically expanding our kids' space, building a new back entrance, and this is phase one of our ultimate plan to build out this facility and make space for those who are yet to come. The next phase will be to blow out this room and expand the lobby and continue to, to make some seats in here. So uh, it's a great problem to have as a church. I love it. Um, but uh, just be praying for that whole process, praying that uh, for the people that are working on this building, we've really been praying that it would be a witness to them, that they'd uh, have an interaction with Jesus as they interact with the church and build this place 
place that uh, we're working on and be praying for the, the plans to come that we can keep moving forward in that as well. Also, coming up in September is something that we do every year called Impact Eagle River. I am so excited. It's my favorite Sunday of the year, not just because I don't preach, um, but what we do is we cancel our Sunday morning services, and instead of going to church, we are the church in our city. We go out, we do service projects, we uh, change oil for single parents and foster families here uh, in their cars, take care of their cars here at the church, and then this year we're actually going uh, to be doing a, a, a a lot of other outreach, some new events that are going to blow the doors off of this thing. So I'm so excited about it. Lots of good things to come. But okay, here we go. You ready? Okay, you ready. All right. We are in a series called Just Saying. And it's just a conversation about the things that sometimes we need to hear or need to say that we don't want to hear and don't want to say. And, and we're walking through the book of 1 John. And if you want to grab a Bible, you can open it up to 1 John chapter 4. And John is an older man at this point in his life, and he's saying the things that sometimes people don't want to hear. He just says it like it is. John has lost his filter, and he says things like, uh, like it is, and he's willing to give us the hard truth about what it really means to be a Christian. So I just got back in town. I was on vacation with my family. Uh, we spent a week in Wyoming, and I dropped my kids off in Wyoming a month prior. They've been with grandma and grandpa for an entire month. And so if you're a parent, you know that now we're doing a little bit of deprogramming, a little detox. Um, after a child hasn't heard the word no for a month, there's some work to do. And so we're doing some work, but um, we're in Wyoming and hanging out with them and, and getting ready to fly back. And I was sitting in Denver International Airport with my daughter and we're just waiting for the flight to board, and, and she's excited about coming back and going to school and everything. We're just talking about her time with grandma and grandpa. She was hanging out with her cousins, and, and she said, Dad, um, I learned something while, while I was away for a month. And I was like, what is that? What'd you learn? She says, well, I learned that Jesus has a pet unicorn. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Anyway, he, so, so she goes... She goes, Jesus has a pet unicorn. And so I'm thinking, okay, how do I, because she's a smart kid, right? And uh, she doesn't tend to just believe whatever people say. But in this situation, her cousin has told her that Jesus has a pet unicorn. And she's, she believes this with her whole heart. And so, um, so I, I was like, you know, hey, listen, sweetie, I, I do know a thing or two about the Bible. Um, uh, and so in, in the reading that I've done, I've learned that that's actually not true. Jesus does not have a pet unicorn. And I'm expecting, okay, Dad, but she, like, looks at the ground. She looks so confused, and she looks at me, and, and you know, she's getting a little older now, so she's, she's got some attitude. She's like, yes, he does. And so we entered into this, like, 20-minute dialogue about why Jesus does not have a pet unicorn. Uh, spoiler alert, he doesn't. You can Google it. He doesn't have a pet unicorn. And, and it was so interesting watching her struggle deeply with the transition uh, in her mind of believing one thing to believing what is actually true. And I just, in this conversation today, this is what I want to talk about, is how we have a tendency to want to believe what we currently believe. And it's actually keeping us from learning and embracing what is actually true. You see, when we're confronted with information, whatever that information may be, uh, some people become critical and other people become compliant. Now, I don't know, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands in the room today, but would you today say that you have had a tendency to become a critical person? Um, just be honest about that internally. I will be the first to admit that, that being critical is my natural disposition. 
Uh, that is my personality type. I naturally look for the holes in what, what people are saying. I try to find the problems. Um, I, I tend to be a little bit more of a pessimist. And, and I tend to be a cynic and a skeptic. It's all, all things that you want out of your pastor, right? Um, but this, I'm just being honest with you. This is my natural disposition is to find holes in things, to be the cynic, to be the skeptic, and, and to be a critical person. And it's, it's caused a lot of problems in my life. Honestly, it's caused a lot of discord between me and people. Proverbs 6.16 6, says this. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. So we should listen up. What is it that the Lord hates? He lists those things. And in verse 19, he says, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. So one of the things that God hates is when people become quarrelsome. People become critics. Uh, James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Is it not this that you have these different beliefs and you're, you're, you have this tension inside of you, within you personally, within the church, and it causes discord? And in fact, in Romans, Paul goes so far as to say, do you know what you should do with quarrelsome people? Kick them out of the church. That's what he says. That's kind of a big deal, right? Like, Man, there's something to this becoming a quarrelsome, critical person that is not honoring to God and does not build up the church. I would say this, that being critical or being a cynic is the prevailing posture in the post-Christian culture that we live in. In fact, it's become almost like a virtue to be a cynic. Have you noticed that? I mean, it really, like if you're smart, If you're wise, if you're somebody who's educated, then what you are is a cynic, right? And you look for the holes in everything. And if you're somebody who is uneducated, somebody who is not smart, then what you have is something called faith. And and, and where do we even come up with this? But this is how people see things in the culture that we live in. And I will tell you this, that I believe cynicism is the the, the posture that keeps us from believing. Like you can't believe in Jesus and stay a cynic. You actually have to open yourself up to the reality that maybe what you've believed is not true. Maybe there's something else out there that could be more true than what you've always believed. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So the psalmist says that a fool says there's no God. I can't believe that. Continues to be cynical and skeptical about God. If you're taking notes today, write this one down. I think it's possible for people to think critically without becoming critical people. I think this is something that we in our culture need to figure out how to do. We have got to know the difference between when we have become a critical person or we're just thinking critically. So the first thing, I just want to tell you, we want you to think critically. I want you to think critically. I want you, as as I'm speaking today, to be working this out and going, do I believe this? What do I think about this? Does it align with what I know about God or know about the scriptures? Does it align with my worldview and what I believe? Uh, Maybe you're coming from the outside of the church and this is your first time at church and you're not so sure what you think about this stuff. I want you to think critically about what I'm saying. I love good discussion. I I love it when uh, life groups get together after Sunday morning and they talk about this this discussion on Sunday and there's some discussion about disagreement. People don't always agree on things and that's great. That's how we learn. But sometimes we transition into becoming just critical people. So, uh, So how do you know? 
how do you know? I want to give you a few questions to ask yourself um, to, to find out if you've become a critical person. The first one is this. You've maybe become a critical person if everyone knows how you feel. Does everybody just know how you feel about things? Like, they don't even have to ask because you're going to tell them how you feel about most things, whether it be politics, whether it be the dinner you had last night, whether it be the church that you went to today. Everybody knows how you feel. You might be a critical person. Do you speak first and ask questions later? Uh, If so, you might have become a critical person. How about this, you criticize first and then remember to encourage. This is me, so let me be honest. I tend, so I know, like, man, I want to be a better encourager with my family, with my wife, with our our coworkers, with our our staff here at the church, and I just, I have a bad habit of walking into an office and being like, here are the 10 things that are wrong, and I I almost get out the door, and I'm like, but you're looking good today, right? Like, you look great in that shirt, and, uh, like, you try to toss a little cherry on top of this, like, pile of criticism, Right? And so that's just, that's my tendency. How about this? If you're a Christian um, and you don't believe that there are nuances in Scripture, you might have become a critical person. In other words, you think everything is black and white. There is a truth and you are the one that has found it. Um, I do believe there's a truth, but maybe there's some some things that we have yet to learn. Uh, How about this? You can't remember the last time you were wrong. That's a good sign that you might have become a critical person. You're laughing because you can't. I get it. I get it. How about this? You feel, you feel like no one sees things quite like you do? You ever, you ever walk into a space and you're like, man, nobody gets it. Or maybe you've said these words, nobody gets me. How come nobody gets me? Uh, maybe that's because you've become a critical person. And the last one, the best one, is that you are convinced that this list is not about you. You're trying to share this with your, you're tagging your mother or your mother-in-law or your father or your son right now in the post, you know, you're trying to, trying to get somebody, you're like, you're going to come to church next week with me and hear more about these critical people, like, this is a natural tendency. So we can become critical people or, you know, sometimes we can become compliant people to just go with, with anything, but what I think we, we really need to, to do is, is just be aware of what's going on. Let's talk about what it means to be compliant. Proverbs 1.22 says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? This is a compliant person. This is somebody who isn't just critical. They just kind of walk with the flow of traffic. In fact, in school, um, we used to call people followers. It was like a, like a put-down, right? You're such a follower. You just kind of do whatever people do. But there is a tendency, if you're not a critical person, to become a little gullible, right? Man, you just walk in, and, and if the guy on stage is saying it, then it must be true. If there's slides on the screen, I say this all the time, we can put anything we want on this screen. You know that, right? So you need to read your Bibles, and, and you need to, we're not trying to fool you, but listen, like, you need to be aware of what's going on and think critically without becoming critical, So don't just be a follower. Don't be a critical person or a compliant person. I want us to be conscious, to be aware, to to, to just be noticing what's going on around us, to be shrewd, to be thinking, man, what is the truth in all of this? And and where is Jesus in what's going on here? And so let's get to the text. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read through this whole, whole thing right now. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we talked about being naive. We talked about being a critical person. Here's the deal. These things stem from one major problem, and it's something that we call pride. These issues come from pride. And if you're taking notes, write this down. The first step in knowing the truth is to assume a posture of humility. It's the opposite of pride. Now, just once again, because in full disclosure, if I were to boil all of my problems down, all of the sin that I struggle with in my life, if I were to boil it down to one issue, it would be pride. Pride has always been the thing that's kept me from growing, kept me from learning, It's broken friendships. It's torn my relationship uh, between me and God apart. It's it's a huge issue in my life. But if I want to be somebody who knows what the truth is, who, who, who actually understands who God is, I need to assume a posture of humility. So I want to ask you, when you walk into a room, do you expect to learn something or teach something? When you talk with people, are you always assuming the posture of, I'm going to give them information Instead of saying, what is it that they can give me? What can I learn from my kids? What can I learn from my parents? What can I learn from my boss or my coworkers? This is a posture of humility. Now, it's interesting. In the Bible, there's, there's a physical posture of humility, and here's what it is. It's this. It's to be on your knees. Now, um, this is not something you see in our culture very often, is it? And I was thinking like, man, this is, a, this is the biblical posture of humility. And when is the last time that you actually got on your knees before God? Now we think to ourselves, well, I don't have to. I'm kneeling in my heart. You ever say those things? I'm kneeling in my heart. Or maybe in worship, you're like, I'm lifting my hands in my heart, you know? It's like, well, no, lift your hands in real life, right? Or kneel in real life. Because we believe this journey that we're on as Christians is like this holistic thing. It's, it's mind and body and soul and spirit. This is this journey where we all go on towards knowing God and loving him. But so many of us have this, this separation between what we actually do with our bodies and, and where we say that our hearts are. And let me just tell you that, that, that where your heart is, your body will go after And so sometimes we actually need to do things physically. And and I was thinking in my own life, um, four years ago, I stepped into this role at ACF of just the teaching pastor here, and um, I was terrified. And in fact, I'm still a little terrified. And the first sermon that I preached four years ago, I preached from my knees. Um, and, And I needed to do that, and it wasn't to prove anything to anybody or look how humble I am. For me, really, um, I I knew I was getting in over my head. And can I just tell you that this is the best place to be when you realize that you're in over your head? Have you been there? Have you found yourself in a situation like that where you're going, man, this thing at work is so beyond me. Or, or, Or what my children are struggling with is so beyond me. 
and you found yourselves kneeling to God going, God, would you just tell me what the truth is? Tell me what I need to do. Positioning yourself in a posture of humility so that God can teach you. This is a great posture to learn. It's a humble posture. It's, it's where I'm opening my heart to God and to others who would bear the truth to me. But here's the thing. This isn't where I always go. My natural tendency, I told you earlier, is to stand up and say, I have the truth. You should listen to me. I've got things that you should learn. You should listen to me. And so instead of kneeling to the truth, I end up like this. I end up knocked down by the truth. Have you found yourself here before where you're, you're just, you're on your back going, how did this happen, right? How did I end up here? And I was thinking, like, that is the, that is the journey that, like, you will either end up kneeling down to or being knocked down by the truth. That's really how it works. And as Christians, we believe this. We believe that there's a day that's coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will either kneel to that today or be knocked down by that at some point in the future. And so what we do together as a church, we come together and practice this every week, is we are intentionally in our hearts and hopefully at some point physically kneeling down before God, before the truth of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is the one that we kneel before. He is the truth. So again, you will either kneel down to him or be knocked down by that truth at some point. But that's a humbling place to be, and it's where we begin to learn. One of my favorite authors is a man named C.S. Lewis. I just, whenever I want to read a book and just kind of soak up some deep knowledge, I pick up a C.S. Lewis book. Um, But in his biography, it was talking about his conversion. If you know anything about C.S. Lewis, um, he resisted Christianity for a long time. Uh, He was a naysayer and a doubter and a skeptic and a cynic when it came to Christianity for a very long time. It says this, It says, he knelt down, he writes, not with enthusiasm, but with a heart and mind bubbling with emotion. He knelt down, rather, as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And one might ask, given that reluctance, why would he ever choose to kneel? He knelt down because, to quote his own words, he had come to realize that the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. So C.S. Lewis came to this understanding of the goodness of God, even through some of the difficult things that he struggled through in Scripture. And he said, you know what? In the end, this is the real God. This is the one true God that I want to submit my life to. And so getting on your knees isn't just an emotional decision. Submitting your life to Jesus isn't just an emotional decision. You might have emotions, But it's also a decision made through thinking, through conversation, through having critical thinking, but also coming to the realization of the truth. So how do we assume this humble, conscious posture in our lives? Let's go to the text. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Uh, This word spirit is the word pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Pneuma. Pneuma means breath or wind. And so, as, as the word spirit is used in scripture, that's what it means, and, and, and you don't want to confuse pneuma as the holy pneuma, or the Holy Spirit, with what he's saying here. He's saying there's the Holy Spirit, God himself, who lives in his people, who always bears the truth, but then there are these false spirits, 
these, these, these untruths that are going around in our culture. So he says, you know what you need to do? You need to test the spirits, which is what we need to do. Have you ever felt like you heard from God and found out later that that was actually you? That, that you'd actually believed a lie? That that was, that was a temptation from the enemy? That was a lie that somebody else planted in your life and you thought, oh, this is from God. And you're like, no, that wasn't from God at all, right? It happens all, so, so, so John's like, you need to test the spirit. So how do we test them? He says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, Okay? And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So three weeks ago, we talked a lot about this. You can, you can download that message if you weren't here that particular week. But John is kind of reiterating this idea that our faith and what we believe is centered on one thing, and it's the person of Jesus. And so if you're here today wondering what is ACF about, what is our, our, our belief in, it's not in a religion, it's not in a denomination. It's not in some building. It's in the person of Jesus himself. And so if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then if you want to find the truth, where do you go? To Jesus, right? And so whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever it is that you're trying to figure out, is this right or wrong? Is this a a false spirit or the spirit of God? Just bring it back to what does Jesus have to say about this? How would Jesus respond in this situation? And what you'll find is the truth, Every single time. Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. He's the center of everything that we believe. Verse 4, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. I love this. John, he's just encouraging. But he calls us little children, and it's not just because he's probably older than us. Um, This is a really important thing to realize. Write this down uh, this morning. Mature believers crave learning like little children. If you want to become a a mature believer, you're going to have to keep being a learner. Here's what I've learned in my life, is that as I've gotten older, so I'm I'm 35 at this point, as I've gotten older, I have not gotten better at learning. Does anybody else relate to that? As I've gotten older, and here's what I suspect, and if you're older than me, you can maybe help me out with this, but I suspect that as I get older, I will not naturally get better at learning. In fact, I think it will probably become more difficult. Because as you gain experience in life, you tend to think that you have less to learn. And it may not be an intentional decision, but you tend to think you've figured some things out, right? It's so different than, remember when you were a kid, you're riding in the car with, you know, a, a friend or with, you know, your mom or your dad, and, and you just had questions, right? Why is the sky blue? Why is that truck yellow? Why is the car got wheels? What's that gas pedal? Like, you know, like you have questions. You want to understand what's going on, and so you're just soaking in all this information to fill in all the gaps. But there comes a point where you're like, I think there's no more gaps. I think I figured it all out. And so if you're a Christian, let me just tell you, that's a dangerous place to be because we serve an immeasurable God, a God that we can't ever completely fathom one who is constantly revealing himself to us in new and in profound ways. And you can read the same scripture today that you read 25 years ago, and it will come to life inside of you in a way that it never did before. That's, that's the empowered word of God through his spirit speaking to us. And, and yet, if you are not in a posture, a humility, where you're ready to learn, you will stop growing, and you will not be a mature believer. And this will be a problem because it keeps you from becoming who God wants you to be. 
In fact, this happens all the time where, for instance, a few weeks ago, Pastor Stewart got up and we're launching something called Crash Course, which is a, a course on how to, how to be a Christian, basically. You know, how to read your Bible and what it means to follow the Holy Spirit and, you know, what it means to be on mission and telling people about Jesus. And I am guessing that somebody in this room has been a Christian and called themselves a Christian their entire lives. And they heard about that class and they thought, I need that, but I would never go to that. And I would never go to that because I should know this already. And where that comes from is what we've already talked about. It comes from our own pride, right? And so our pride keeps us from going. The things that you actually need to learn and need to do, you're not doing because you feel like you should have already done them, right? This is such a trap that we fall into. Um, Psychologists call this the paradox of expertise. The paradox of expertise. Where you become such an expert that you stop growing and you cease to be an expert, right? Whereas people who are great at whatever they do, if if you're a doctor, if you're a business owner, whatever, if you're a musician, you never get to a point where you arrive. You're continually learning, growing, being around people who are farther along than you are, asking questions, And this is a posture of humility. At some point, we all transition from being learners to knowers. And I want you to consider moving back into becoming a learner. So it's good. We want to be learning, we want to be growing, but there is a danger in in being little children, as John calls us, and that is the danger of being gullible, right? So John's warning us about that, that we need to be, be aware of what's going on. And, and we all can tend to believe a lie and be a little bit gullible. I remember uh, as a dad, when my, when my girls were little, um, I, to- I convinced them that boys were poisonous. I'm a good dad, I know. So, and they believed it for Amanda's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, just trust me on this, babe. Trust me, it's good. And so they believed this for a very long time until they, they start asking some questions. And I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a tendency for us to believe things that people say to us and, and to fall into some lies, into some traps. But to be the, a little child like, like John is encouraging us to do is to be somebody who's conscious, somebody who's not a, a critical person, but also somebody who, who, who isn't just brought into anything, doesn't believe whatever is put before them. I love this next verse. Verse four, he says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this is such good news. If you're here and you're afraid that maybe you've bought into some lies, if you're here and you're afraid of maybe your kids believing some lies, and maybe they're going off to college and you're just wondering, what are they going to do? Let me just tell you, take heart. If you know Jesus, if they know Jesus, we believe God lives within us, and the Spirit of God living in us is greater than any spirit coming at us. And he will illuminate the truth to us. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So you can write this one down. Don't be surprised when people who don't believe what Jesus did don't believe what Jesus said. That's really the point that John is making. Is He's like, hey, They are from the world. The people that speak to you, that speak things that are not of God, don't be surprised when they say things that don't align with your worldview. It's it's interesting, like, how we, as the church, if you're a Christian, we're still surprised by things in our culture. You watch the news and you're just like, I can't believe it, right? I can't believe this is where we're going. 
Let me just tell you that the world is not drifting towards Jesus, it's drifting away from Jesus. Just know that. That is where things are going. And so essentially, you know, John's like, hey, they're from the world. They speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So don't be surprised when people in your life give you advice that does not lead you to Jesus. And so I want, I want you to take just a couple things away uh, today. The first is this. Be careful who you let speak into your life. Be careful about this. This is advice, like as a youth pastor, I would always give our students, but I think it's equally as important for you as an adult, if you're an adult here today, that you'd be careful about who is speaking into your life. I mean, you can guarantee, like if you need advice about your marriage, and you go to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and and you ask for advice, that they will give you advice that does not lead you to Jesus. That makes sense, right? Right? I mean, it's just because that's not where their life is going. That's not what they believe in. It's not the purpose of their life. So they're going to give you advice that doesn't necessarily lead you to Jesus. Just as much as if you're here today and you, you aren't a believer in Jesus, you're not a Christian yet, and if you set up an appointment with, with me and we sit down in my office and you ask me uh, some advice for your marriage, I'm going to give you advice that leads you to Jesus because that's what I believe and that's my worldview. And so be careful about who is closest to you I believe this strongly, that your best friend, whoever that is in your life, should love Jesus. I think, that's, I think it's safe to say that you should have lots of friends who don't love Jesus. Plenty of friends that don't love Jesus, but the person that you've given the most authority to speak into your life, if you're a Christian, they should love Jesus. Not just that they should go to church, not just that they should call themselves a Christian, but that they should love Jesus because they're going to give you advice And you want them to lead you to Jesus. The second thing I want to say is is really about how different our lives should be and how different the truth that we believe is from from the world. I mean, have you considered lately how strange Christianity is? Have you considered lately how weird the life of Christ is? Like, if you're actually going to take what Jesus says literally, you're going to actually take this Christianity thing literally, you're going to do some strange things, right? Right? I mean, forgive the unforgivable. That's weird. In a culture that says if they, if they wronged you, if they did something, just cut them off, right? Cut them off. Friends are disposable. People are disposable. Just cut them off. We forgive the unforgivable. That's weird. How about this? We give generously to the needs of others and don't seek to get credit for it. That's what God's people do. That's weird. That's weird, right? We all want credit. If we're going to be generous, at least I can get a little credit for it, right? Not in the way of the church, not in the way of God. We give generously, we meet needs, and we don't need credit for it at all. How about this? We we wake up every day, and we read a book that's thousands of years old, and let it inform how I live my life. In a world that says, I can live however I want to live. As long as I'm not hurting you, if I'm not doing anything to hurt you, if if it's just about me, then I can do whatever I want. We read a book that's thousands of years old that we believe is inspired by God that informs how we live on Monday. It's weird. How about this? We, we, We intend to marry somebody and stay with them for the rest of our lives. We believe in marriage. We believe that God gave us the covenant of marriage to reflect his love for the church, which never dies. And so we do everything in our power to stay together, through thick and through thin, sickness and health, just like it says. We believe in that. It's weird. It's getting weirder in our culture. How about this? We believe that God made man and God made woman, and he made them 
them beautifully equal and yet beautifully different. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing, that God made us different. How about that we open up our homes to, to other families and other families' kids and we let them drink our coffee and we let them grind like, you know, chips and stuff down into our carpets and our houses get all torn up, you know, so we can sit in our living rooms and, and talk about this Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago. That's crazy. This is what we do. We do it all the time. We make it our life's goal to make God's name great while we enter into obscurity. I mean, once again, it's all about making God's name great. It's so weird. And so the second thing that I want to leave you with is this. If you're a Christian, it's time to embrace the weird. The truth that you are intended to believe, the truth is going to be weird. And if your life isn't a little weird, you have to ask yourself, am I following Jesus? Because Jesus was weird. And I mean that in every good possible way. Jesus did some weird stuff. He, he lived a, a really weird life. And I say weird in comparison to the world and their values. It's a different worldview. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, I love the message translation of this. He says this, To be perfectly frank, I'm getting exasperated with your infantile thinking. How long before you grow up and use your head, your adult head, it's all right to have a childlike unfamiliarity with evil. A simple no is all that's needed there, but there's far more to saying yes to something. Only mature and well-exercised intelligence can save you from falling into gullibility. It's written in Scripture that God said, In strange tongues and from the mouths of strangers, I will preach to this people, but they'll neither listen nor believe. What's his point? His point is that you're going to have to hear and do and believe some strange things if you want to accept the grace of Jesus. So we're going to talk about something that's a little weird here. We, we do this occasionally. We have a, a tank on the stage, and, and this tank is for baptism. And I don't know what you know about baptism, but uh, it, it's a symbol of our new life in Christ. So when we go, up, go into the water, it's like us saying, I'm getting rid of all the lies. I'm done with the lies. I am kneeling my heart and actually physically lowering myself to the point of death for what Christ has done for me. And then we come out of the water, it's like I want this new life in Christ. I want to believe in the truth. It's this commitment to the truth of Jesus. And it's really the, the first thing that we're called to do. It's the first weird act of obedience that every Christian is called to do. Um, you don't see this really anywhere else in our culture, nowhere else are people dunking people like this, I mean, with hundreds of people watching. It's, a, it's really, in many ways, if you've never been around the church, a strange thing. But what if the weirdness is the whole point? Like, what if the point is that you have to go, I'm uncomfortable, and uh, I'm worried. I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried about what, I, what I'll say or not say. You know, I'm worried that I'm not good enough. I mean, think of all the different, the different lies that are popping through people's heads today. And so I want to give you an opportunity to take a step of obedience, to do something that's a little weird, to get baptized today and just communicate to the church that you're a believer in Jesus and that you are here to reject the lies and to believe in the truth. So, so if that's you here today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We've got a table out in the lobby some people that would love to talk to you. 
if maybe over the past weeks or months at some point God has done something in your life and, and your faith has gone from being some, some kind of religious belief or, or something that was non-existent to something that's real. If that's happened, you guys, listen, don't leave here today without taking this step. If God's working in your heart, go out to the table as we sing the songs that we're singing in, in a couple minutes and they'd love to talk to you about it. They're going to get you a t-shirt, some shorts uh, if you need them. They've got everything you need. We've got hair dryers in the bathrooms and um, I mean, you name it, we've covered it. So there's really no excuses. You can go home in your dry clothes. But really, here's what we see in scripture is that, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church where there was like a 12-week class to get baptized. Um, and I looked for that in the Bible. I didn't find that. Uh, it's probably next to the verse about unicorns somewhere. But um, <laughs> nothing wrong with a class. But for us, we just have seen in scripture that uh, when, when people get saved, they just go, well, where's the water? Let's just let's do this. Let's do this now. Let's, let's go public with our faith. Let's not be ashamed of the God that was not ashamed of us. And so if that's you here today, don't walk away. Don't believe the lies. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, if you're thinking that you just need to get your life more together to get baptized, if you're thinking, well, I'll just you know, do it next time, or you know, maybe you're thinking, it's a cattle tank. I'm supposed to be baptized in the Jordan like Jesus. You know, like, it doesn't matter. It's just water. It's a, it's a symbol of your new life in Christ. Wherever you're at, even through your doubts, even through your fears, I wonder if you'd consider today bowing your heart and your life to the lordship of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get even a little more weird. Um, If when I said the word pride, you just felt God say, that's you, um, we're going to pray in just a second. And I want to encourage you, would you just turn around in your chair, kneel somewhere, you can get out in the aisles and um, anywhere in this room, but if you've you've got pride in your life, that you actually want God to tear out and replace with humility so that you might receive grace from Jesus, if that's you today, would you just, as we pray, kneel? So let's do this together. I'm going to pray for us. And and if that's you, just find a place to kneel and and, uh, we're going to submit our hearts to God. Father, we, uh, we confess today that we are so full of arrogance that we shake our fists at you as if we know what's best for the world and for our lives. We confess our pride that, um, God, we have resisted the truth because we're afraid of what we might have to give up to believe it. God, we confess that we have propagated things to others that aren't true, both in word and in deed. And that your kingdom has not been on our lips or flowed from our lives the way it should. So Jesus, we are on our knees today knowing, Father, that you have an endless supply of grace. Thank you, God, that we can go to our knees not wondering if you will forgive us, but knowing that you will. 
God, there's, just a, there's, a, there's a point where we realize that to be on our knees before our creator is so much more than we deserve. So God, from that posture, we pray that you would just lavish your grace upon us, upon your church, both locally and nationally and globally, God, that Christians would rise up and know your grace in such a way that would compel us to love others like you loved us first. So help us to humble ourselves, first before you and also before others. Keep us from being ashamed of the grace that was so costly. And God, thank you for loving us right where we are today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.